With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Um, it's really been a game changer to me, understanding that every single thrower is different in some capacity. We're all governed by the same rules, but we, you know, trying to make everyone throw a certain way and, and hold on to techniques that have, you know, been kind of passed down through generations is, is just not the way to evolve. We're back for week two of Accelerate Everything, a series that we're doing with our host, Dub Maddox. So Dub, back for another week of this and a, a guest who's made a number of appearances on this podcast, somebody you've known for a long time, somebody I've known for a long time, in Will Hewitt. Yeah, Will's one of my best friends, and he's the best in the business at what he does, and a guy that is definitely a quarterback expert, and I can't uh, get enough of him. Uh, every time I talk to him, I, I learn something, so I wanted to, to get him on so coaches can hear and learn from him as well. We should probably put at the beginning of this one just a, a general warning here that your feelings may be hurt by this, but I would say this, by the end of it and listening to it, you will grow and become a better quarterback coach because of it. Absolutely. What you see on tape is a direct reflection of what you teach and how you teach. Video is important, but if you don't teach well, you're not going to like what you see on your video. First Down Playbook has been helping coaches teach better for 13 years. It allows you to present installs, playbooks, and practice cards in half the time with NFL quality. Coaching tools like video pairing, a player app, practice schedules, and wristband sheets have made First Down Playbook a program management system with everything in one place. If you're in a position of leadership with your football program, receive a free one-week look at First Down Playbook. Call them at 512 512- 814-6158 or visit them on their website or social media. Mention Coach and Coordinator Podcast or use the coupon code COACH24 to receive a $100 discount off the normal $700 First Down Playbook team membership price. Links and the phone number are in the show notes. Our guest today is Will Hewlett. Will is one of the top private quarterback coaches in the country. In the offseason, he focuses on the NFL draft prep for college quarterbacks, two of the most recent names being Brock Purdy and Anthony Richardson. During the football season, Will is the quarterback coach at St. Augustine High School in Florida. Will, welcome to the show. Appreciate you having me on, Doug. Will, you and I met around 2007, 2008 timeframe. We were both on similar paths trying to find the best way to teach quarterback mechanics. Darren Slack was the magnet that connected us together. It's fair to say that since we met over 15 years ago that there has been a massive evolution in quarterback training and mechanics. My first question is walk us through the major shifts that you see and have discovered in your journey. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's always an, an interesting question because if you ask me again in five years, I might actually have a different answer again. You know, I think I think the just like technology, I think it, it the better it gets, the better it gets, right? It, it, it continues to improve. 
I think some of the biggest shifts in the industry have been, generally speaking, how people view and teach the throw. I think for a very long time, there was you know, kind of just the way that we thought people threw um, some of the old school language, like get your elbow up high and get on top of the ball and rip down. And you got to have a high release, kind of those extreme coaching techniques that people utilized. Uh, and, and that kind of like, you know, when people actually questioned and started looking at throwing and probably with the onset of uh, slow motion video motion capture, uh, 3D motion capture analysis, I think surely, but slowly, you know, the, the shift has happened where people have looked at the throw and gone, wow, like all the great quarterbacks don't actually do that with their arm or they don't actually do that with their hips. So they don't actually do that with their feet. And so with, once people started asking those questions, there was a shift, I think, in the industry about 15 years ago. Darren Slack being kind of on the forefront of that, with having more of a uh, an approach of like you know maybe it's okay to question why things have been done a certain way, and and I think from there there's even been more evolution in the past fifteen years, you know where there's been emphasis overemphasis on maybe you know having a wide base or uh, the old term equal opposite and 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 so now I think that the throw. Yeah, the quarterback throwing is really caught up to the world of baseball and, and golf. I think the two probably most relatable rotational sports where, you know, now coaches are doing a much better job of, of you know, letting some of the natural evolution, the natural mechanics be kind of emphasized in, in great throwers, focusing more on the hips and, and the sequence and the timing of the throw rather than trying to build you know, so-called, I guess, more of a, like a robotic approach. And uh, I think that's the, you know, coaches are now, I think, finally embracing the uh, the multi-arm angled throws, that the power comes from your hips, and that some of the old terminology is, is finally starting to die off. One of the things I'm interested in is is maybe, you know, we've learned a lot. You and I have been together for a long time, and we always collaborate and share ideas. And, and we've made our share of mistakes as coaches. And like yeah. you said, you know, you asked me five years from now, I might change my idea on some things. What's some of the common mistakes you see that that coaches can fall into the trap to uh, in in the current um, state of the game, whether it's private training or, or coaching quarterbacks on a team? Um, what are some things that you think coaches need to be aware of, and, and maybe the traps that easily fall into when you're in this 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 process? I think some of the the things that jump to the front of um, you know my mind when I hear that question, I still see things kind of creep into into coaching where as crazy as it sounds as, as if you're a, you know, a, a quarterback coach on a team, there's probably things that you should consider leaving alone from a mechanical standpoint and, and leave the um, you know, the, the private throwing coach um, to handle. And then I think there's just also like understanding truly what's valuable in terms of time invested in particular drills and, and what coaches tend to focus on. I, I, I still think there are things that that coaches try to tinker with because, they, I don't know, they have a hard time letting go. Like, well, that's how I was taught and I had success or I've had guys that have had success. And I think a lot of the times that, you know, if we look at the great throwers in the game, there's, there's very intricate different uh, differences between each one of them, but there's also a lot of similarities, right? And I think, you know, Aaron Rodgers – was kind of on the forefront, I think. Well, I shouldn't say that because there's been many guys before him that have kind of broken the mold of the traditional dropback passer. But Aaron Rodgers, you know, with social media and just the timing of it has been kind of at the forefront for us as 
a guy that does things maybe that are not fundamentally sound where coaches would go like, ah, that's just, that's Aaron Rodgers doing it. You know, the, he's a pro, you know, that's not, repl- you know, we can't replicate that. And then Patrick Mahomes came along. And I think that was another shift where people were like, well, maybe we should look at this a little bit different in the traditional sense. So I still think guys like hold on to things like not tapping the ball. And I get the big old pat in the pocket, you know, but like if a quarterback tap pats the ball and, and coaches will say, well, it gets it out slower. I, I my guess is that 99.99% of those coaches have never actually timed the pat to see if it actually is slower. And then the argument would be, you know, like, oh, defensive backs. That's a key for defensive backs. Great. If it's a key for defensive backs, then let's use it against them. I think there's still an, an element from some coaches that maybe have shied away from, you know, embracing some of the technology and, and the resource out there. I think it's hard as a coach, like, you know, uh, 10 years ago, like the private coach was someone you wanted to stay away from. Like they're going to, they're going to ruin what we're trying to build here from a team standpoint. The reality is on the private side of things that we're focusing on throwing um, completely and, and the, the on-field biomechanics, the on-field mechanics of throwing, they're not going to, you know, change your progression, a read, you know, um, approach on a concept. I think that what coaches were worried about was like, there's too many voices. And I get that. I get the, the issue there. And I think, so there's been a shift in the, in, in the college coaching world and the NFL world where these guys have kind of accepted now that there's specialists out there that are going to only help them. Um, so kind of hanging on to those old school, you know, I like everyone's feet should do this or everyone's, you know, uh, everyone should hold the ball like this. Understanding the, the importance of like individualized coaching to each athlete um, has really been a game changer to me. Understanding that every single thrower is different in some capacity. We're all governed by the same rules, but we, you know, trying to make everyone throw a certain way and and hold on to techniques that have, you know, been kind of passed down through generations is is just not the way to evolve. And there's going to be a large shift in the next couple of years, I think, where there's going to be a group of coaches that are going to move ahead of the the game and there's going to be some that are left behind if you don't embrace some of the the new approaches in coaching um, and it's not just what we do on the field it's it's how you set up your entire off season you know what how you're integrating your strength training your performance training the physical therapy side of things i mean there's a whole you know gamut of things that i think we need to take a look at what what are some things that you would recommend uh, a coach look at if he's looking to offload some of that um, to a local trainer whether it be at the high school level or the college level, you know, what are some things you need to be cautious of and what are, what are questions do I might want to ask a trainer to make sure he's not going to ruin my kid? Because, I mean, you know, as well as I do, you get on social media, there's, there's some guys out there doing some really good things, but there's also some, some guys out there that are absolutely going to ruin uh, quarterbacks. hundred percent. I think that, that you, you actually, the way you position that is perfect because working with a really qualified, educated, good trainer, can be really helpful, can be game-changing. Working with a trainer that's, you know, built a brand on social media and and there's nothing wrong with that, but like built a brand on social media that doesn't really have an identity or an, an approach to how they coach. It's just, you know, reps and exposure, et cetera. I, I, don't, I don't know that that's helpful in those situations. So I think you, some of the questions that you should ask and consider with trainers is, you know, what's the background? Um, I think philosophically, where do they kind of draw their inspiration from in terms of how they approach throwing and throwing mechanics? I think the the advantage of having a qualified trainer that can support a team is a, probably more simple in terms of the style of training than we think. 
I think the team coach, you know, the quarterback coach, the coordinator, you should be managing the timing of your offense, the yeses and nos, the, the, the DNA of the plays, the structure of the plays. That philosophy should not be interfered with with an outside coach. I think where an outside coach can help is that understanding the intricacies and in, in, in individual differences between each players, you know, where like a particular type of drop or an approach on the drop might be more helpful for player A versus player B in this concept. So I think kind of a, a coach that understands the timing of footwork and how to assist and build on that within the system. And I'm not saying change things just to change things, but, you know, if you've got a, a, a way that maybe would help a, a particular player with a certain concept with a drop, that could be a helpful. And I think also from a throwing mechanic standpoint, being able to provide, you know, a, a comprehensive throwing plan that includes kind of an undulated pattern of, of, volume it's not just you know we're going to go out there and throw 250 balls for two hours on a saturday at at moving targets or stationary targets it's actually a a why and a how and an approach you know the drills i think good coaching requires less implements and objects i think you can accomplish it by what we call patterning so patterning movements properly you know, and a, a big part of what we do is actually without a football, like a lot of the stuff with the plyometric drills, with the, the plyo balls, a lot of the throwing that our quarterbacks do in the offseason is actually into a wall. So they're, they're, they're helping program and, and build a better pattern in the, in the, in the throwing movements. And then there's on-field training where we're going to be working with receivers and, and um, you know, different, uh, different types of targets. It's quite simple. They should have some kind of philosophy in terms of like, you know, uh, experience with biomechanics or been mentored by someone with an understanding of it. You know, if they're just going out there and they're running around cones and jumping over bags and, you know, going through ladders and you're swiping at them with shields and stuff. I just, I just don't know that there's much transfer of any of that stuff that's going to be helpful on Friday night or, you know, on, 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 uh, the big screen on Saturdays. I also think, you know, that there's a place for seven on seven too. I mean, if, if it's not run through your team effectively, I think there's some advantages to playing some seven on seven club football. And I know that people hate that world and I get it, but I, I do think seven on seven can be a really helpful drill for quarterbacks to, to generate, you know, layered decision-making pressured environments. And that's the hardest thing about this position is creating drills and, and, um, creating moments for that quarterback to go through what they're going to experience on Friday night without 21 other players on the field. That's the tough thing about the, the sport. So I think taking that approach, understanding that, you know, there is, is some really talented trainers out there, but you should definitely question and question hard, like what people are spending their money on. And, and um, you know, if it's just for the, the flash and the, the clout, then maybe we got to, you know, reevaluate what we actually want out of this. We're going to take a quick time out of this episode to make sure that we share some great resources that Coach Dub Maddox has put together. I know my bookshelf is just full of your books. I've always followed all the things that you do, and you do a tremendous job of just putting together detailed resources that can help coaches accelerate everything within what they do. So tell us a little bit about some of the things you've put together. Yeah, R4 Keith is an operating system that accelerates coach and player decision-making under pressure. So we've built frameworks that other experts in other domains have used and put them in a football process that allows you and your staff to get on the same page and accelerate your ability to learn how to watch film, learn how to game plan faster, learn how to play call faster. And with the common language and the non-negotiables that we identify, 
it really unifies everyone on your staff and your team to see the game through the same lens. And that's really the hardest thing that we have to do as coaches and coordinators is to unite everybody to see that game through that expert lens. R4 is your answer. You can check it out at r4footballsystem.com. As coaches, we know that some of the biggest hurdles to our team's success can come from off the field. Your team needs support to tackle the endless list of expenses, uniforms, training equipment, travel, and more. But raising that money can feel like a full-time job. Thankfully, there's Vertical Raise. Vertical Raise is the premier online fundraising platform using innovative technology to create the easiest and most efficient system available. Raise more money in less time with a local fundraising coach who works with your team every step of the way to customize the ideal fundraiser. With options for online donations, digital discount cards, premium product sales, and even spirit shops, Vertical Raise has top-of-the-line solutions for every fundraising style. To find out more, visit verticalraise.com and we'll get you connected with an exclusive offer on your first fundraiser. Will, you recently made the leap from the private training world into the coaching world as a quarterback coach. Your son is one of the top quarterback recruits in the country in the 2025 class and has over 10 Power 5 offers. What mistakes did you realize that you were making in the private training setting that coaching in a team setting revealed? Yeah, that was really humbling and an interesting experience for me, having success in the, in the private training sector. The first thing I realized is that private coaching is not, is not quarterback coaching. It's, it's not. It's a completely different world. And if it's the same, then there's probably a breakdown in, in what you're doing in the private training world. So what I, I, I guess more specifically during the fall, if your quarterback's not in a position where, you know, mechanics aren't the primary focus, you, if we're still talking about the stroke path or, or over rotating the hips too much or plant feet, you know, there's going to be times you're going to mention these things and, and maybe remind them of things. But if you're trying to change stuff during the season, there's, there's bigger problems there, right? And so I really saw how these two different worlds mesh together is that the private trainer's role is really in the offseason and, and um, in assisting the team. And then during the season, you know, a quarterback coach has to be a, a version of the offensive coordinator where you're diffusing the information from the offensive coordinator if they're not the same person. And, and you're being able to communicate that to your position group with, at the, with the quarterbacks. You're understanding coverages and, and rotations and timing and how to interact with the other position groups effectively, creating kind of guardrails for your quarterbacks to, to have progress through the season. That world is not the same as, you know, what we do in a, you know, a session to session basis in the private training world. We're improving very internally focused areas when we're working on the private side of things it's much more external when you're on the field with a with a coach uh, as as a as a team you know you're really trying to get your your quarterback to operate in that team environment to the 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 highest level and that's hard to do as a private trainer because you don't have the rest of the team there so you have to figure out what is valuable what the most valuable use of your time as a private trainer and to me that's on-field mechanics that's transferring the biomechanics from the the weight room and the plyo balls onto the field. And then from a quarterback coaching standpoint, it's understanding what not to tell my quarterback to do and then what to tell them to do to give them feedback, helping them understand, for example, the, you know, the R4 system, obviously something that 
we're, we're all very familiar with, understanding that, you know, some of the basics of just how the field, what, you know, the battlefield is shaped, and then, you know, understanding timing and leverage, utilizing one of the things that I use that I transferred over from, you know, I actually use as a trainer and as a, as a coach is the R4 clock. Like I, I got to see if my drops are timing up, the ball's getting out. And, and so, you know, that side of things, in, including the cognition and the decision-making element of the game is really where it was different for me as a, as a, as a coach, as more as the private side was the art form of implementing new biomechanical patterns that, that we want the athlete to accomplish on the coaching side, it was, you know, really tying it all together to make sure that it worked. So it was a rough, rough go around the first, first year or so understanding all these different coverages that I'd never seen. I was like, what, what's uh palms and to read and, and uh, you know, these different versions of, 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 you know, split safety, three safety looks. It's, it was crazy. That part of it. I don't know that you can be very great at both of them. You know, it will be hard for me to be an offensive coordinator and then be elite in the training world and, and vice versa. If I, if I want to continue to stay at the level I want to be as a trainer, it's going to be hard for me to, to improve um, much further as, as a, as a private coach. I think that's where the, for me, I was like, okay, there's a symmetry, there's a, a connection here that can be made with a, a great trainer and a great, great staff. We're seeing it right now with some of my NFL guys and, and college teams. I work with more college quarterbacks and their coaches now than I ever have before. Like there's communication dialogue going on with offensive coordinators and strength staffs and PT staff. So it's, it's really interesting to see how it's all coming together. Well, let's talk more about that. When you're consulting with college and NFL coaches, maybe it's in a practice setting, maybe you're watching film. What are some areas that these coaches can improve upon when it comes to quarterback mechanics? Yeah, there's a disconnect. There's a huge dis. It's it's ironic because of the amount of money that's involved at the, at the FBS and, and NFL level. It, it's mind blowing to me that your your you know your, all your positions for that matter, but your quarterbacks are going to spend your entire offseason outsourcing their training, right? And again, I understand why it's, that that's happened because a Team quarterback coach is not a quarterback trainer. There's just not the same thing. Um, it's like trying to specialize in two forms of medicine, you know, as you know, your, your, your brain surgeon or knee surgeon. It's going to probably be hard to be both. So, what, but the, the areas that, that, that we care about that we've had success in the draft prep world is that there's integration between every single thing that that player does from the big time they wake up to, you know, um, what, what specific lifts they're doing, what plyo drills they're doing, all of that stuff then translates to what they then do on the field. And then there's a feedback loop that's tied together. So the strength training, performance training, medical training, on-field training, there's a circular loop. Now, ironically, you probably get a little bit more of that in high school because you got a lot of coaches doing, you know, all of those roles, they're wearing all of those hats. But in the NFL level, the FBS level, you know, the strength staff, is and and let's be you know honest here real here that the quarterback is the well except for kickers the quarterback is the only rotational athlete on the field right so if you don't have a a, a rotational specialist on your strength staff or, or someone that has a high understanding of rotational mechanics I don't I mean with the amount of money that's available out there that to me is mind blowing right it's like you have to have someone that's got an understanding of arm care and arm health and so not having that system 
built in play where the PT and the strength and then the on-field coaches have some kind of communication loop where it's tied together is where guys are going to get left behind because they spend all this time in the off season working on improving all these areas. And then you jump on the field and you waste, you know, 20 minutes of your time doing mindless drills that have been passed down through generation, you know, of, of coaches of, you know, throwing stuff at them and running over bags and then biomechanically fighting everything that they t- they've been working on in the off season with, you know, old school mentality in terms of drops or, or pocket movement or whatever the case may be. And so really embracing that side of motor learning and, and understanding the different theories and teaching would benefit, I think, a lot of NFL teams, a lot of FBS teams. And there are some that are completely embracing it and they're going to have more success. Um, you know, the Eagles are a great example of a team that utilized 3D motion capture technology for all their quarterbacks year round. I mean, they have a guy coming in there and generating analysis on a, on a very frequent basis, giving the players feedback, giving the strength staff feedback, and then that transfers into the, into the on-field. And, and you can't argue the success, especially for Jalen Hurts. The, the trajectory of his improvement has been you know, extraordinary. And, and that's from the science of the game, understanding his throw and how to improve his throw, not just you know, overarching statements that have been passed down from coaches and get your arm up higher or rip your left side harder, et cetera. All right, Will, let's get down to brass tacks here. What is the one drill that when you see on Twitter internally, you think to yourself, this coach sucks? <laughs> uh, it's funny saying this because, uh, you know, like I'm probably going to hurt some feelings and, and, and maybe that's what needs to happen. And I think I'll, I'll, I'm going to defend these coaches for a second and then I'm going to make them feel bad. But like, I think there's a lack of, there's a, there's a point where guys are just like, I just got to fill time with something. And so whenever I see a drill that lasts, I don't know, more than like three or four seconds with back and forth, up, down, uh, uh, movement that's predicated on a coach saying something like up, back, over, jump, forward, back. And then we're hitting them with stuff to create pocket presence. And then they're going to sprint out and throw. I just, I don't understand why we think this is, is getting anyone any better at anything. And the argument's like, well, they're working on pocket presence. Okay. Well, the, the, the stimulation from the pocket is, is completely chaotic and random and it's it's not from a coach pointing and and uh, and saying things there. And then, well, then we're working on you know footwork. Well, are we really like? Do you think about your footwork when you're in the pocket? You know, so you know the definition of agility is right. The the reaction your you know body's reaction to stimulus. And so I think there's just a much more simple way to approach you know building drills. You know, a layer of cognition, right? Some kind of decision making element. Um, some form of pressure and then keeping it short and sweet and simple, I think is so much more beneficial for quarterbacks other than, you know, burning them out, running through cones and around stuff and then swiping, you know, dummies at them and, and throwing. And, and I get it. Like maybe we're just bored and we want to have some fun and that's cool. But like, if that's what we're doing, you know, at that level, I just, I just cut practice by 20 minutes then. Cause I just don't, don't see the, the, uh, the benefit there at all. Will, one of the things that you've helped me with in bringing in a baseball analogy is pitch count and understanding the amount of 
work and training I'm putting into my quarterback during a season, specifically just take a regular game week, how do I track my quarterback's reps and know when I'm in that danger zone range of overtraining? Yeah, I think that's important. Um, and and it's it's hard because everyone's a little bit different. Some guys have got an engine that can last a longer time. And that's the, the difficult thing about throwing is that it's a highly explosive movement that needs to be repeatable. But fatigue is the enemy of skill development, right? And so you actually start to train into your quarterbacks a level of, uh, it's like if you want to be great at sprinting, running a mile is not going to help you be a better sprinter. I just, you know, running two miles is not going to help you better be a better sprinter. Sprinting is going to help you be a better sprinter. So rest is is very much a thing that's like overlooked. And it's hard on, in high school because the randomness and skill level that you're going to get with a quarterback room is considerable. And then it's like, man, I really want to get my starter, the good reps, and so you kind of screw your backups, you know, by not getting them enough reps. But it's like if you give them a rep, it's like a waste of a team rep. So this is like oh, this dynamic that you go back and forth with. So you have to find a way, I think, to balance it out. And the way I look at it is like, you know, over a seven week period, uh, sorry, sorry, seven day, you know, seven day week. If you've got a game on Friday night, you've got Thursdays, Wednesdays, you know, Tuesdays and Mondays to throw. So the formula that we use and it's worked well for us is we have a pre-throw routine every single day. So our, our quarterbacks warm up with bands and, and plyo balls before every throwing session. And then we go through our warm up and they're going to have throwing through that practice. And, you know, Mondays are going to be probably uh, medium to high level intensity of throwing. So volume is going to definitely be over, you know, 100, 100 total throws. You could probably give in that 150 to 180 range, um, counting stuff they do in the warmups. And then just, you know, assisting other position groups in throwing. And then Tuesdays can be also a pretty high-ish volume. We'll probably back it off on Wednesday. And then Thursday is going to be a probably a low, low volume day. So we usually go two high volumes, one low, medium, and then a low volume. And then we play on Fridays. And obviously Fridays aren't that high a volume. And so what we found is that warming up with good plyos and then having a good cool down Trying to organize, and this is the difficult part, trying to organize your practice in a way where there's not big breaks, where the arms cool down and then they have to warm back up, I think is really important. The stress of catching a ball and throwing a quick screen is actually pretty intense. So making sure that that type of throwing is managed effectively. Like if you're throwing now screens frequently at with and one guy's getting most of their reps, that's a lot of wear and tear on the arm. So much so that it's probably better to air it out 30, 40, 45 yards plus with some arc. That's actually easier on the arm than catching and ripping a, a, a quick screen. So making sure, you know, maybe it's your backups are going to get more of those reps. If your starter is really good at catching the ball and getting it out fast, then we're going to do less of that. You know, we're going to save the arm for the seven on seven and team reps. You know, we always do a team tempo drill. So we keep the throws pretty consistent in that. We try to build it up so they peak seven on seven and team, and then and then we 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 bring it off at the end. And whether there's a throwing, you know, we do a little bit of a two man read stuff, you know, to, you know, like a half line, you know, those are the the, the chunk in the middle is where we want to have the highest volume, and then and you want to definitely back it off, like you don't want to go, you know, I I, I want to we have a shorter practice on Wednesday, so that by nature we get less throws in, and then on on. On a Thursday, um, you know, it's going to be a good warm up, and then it's going to be a quick practice. And it's going to be very low volume. 
I think some of the things to consider that have really helped me and, and understand uh, if you expect your quarterbacks to throw the ball well without a good warm up at the beginning of practice, you're doing a disservice to your players. It's just not fair on them, right? You just have to put your foot down as a position coach or a player. It's in their best interest that they get a warm up. So if you have something at the beginning of practice that requires them to throw the ball effectively, let them have a warm up. And the problem is, is if you have a team, so here's the way I approach it is that I'll, I, my quarterbacks will not do the dynamic warm up uh, with the, the entire team. They will do a throwing warm up if something at the beginning of practice requires them to throw with intensity. Now, if they don't need to throw with intensity at the beginning, then they'll do the dynamic warm up with the team and then we'll do our warm up as it goes through. It's just I've had too many situations where a quarterback throws a bad ball, the coach is cussing them out. It's like, well, dude, like, that's like his third throw of the day. You know, you try to do that. It's, it doesn't work. It doesn't feel good. And then making sure that, again, that there's not huge breaks. in in And so if you throw one of your backups in and it's seven on seven and they go out there and throw a duck on a deep post or something and you think that's a bad throw, well, that kid's been sitting for five periods without throwing a football, of course. Like it is hard to – warm up and cool down and warm up and cool down. So you got to be conscious of that. So again, that's why I try to structure certain moments where our cues, some of our cues are going to service the wide receivers to keep their arms warm. Some of them are going to go do inside run, whatever the case may be. But having that good flow, I think has really, really helped it. And then the plyo drills, the plyomic drills and, and the bands, we went away from the traditional house style warmups and there's nothing wrong with those. I think in some aspects, but we felt like we got more stimulus and and better arm health where our quarterbacks' arms get a little bit stronger through the season. And visually, I've noticed it. Um, we've had a couple of college quarterbacks that have been on a player program that have come back and they've had improved arm strength. So when you when you get over the 150 rep range, you know you're starting to push 200 reps in in a, in a throwing session that arm is going to get gassed. And then if they have to do that again the next day, you're training in a guy that's going to be able to throw with not a lot of intensity on, on, on and velocity um, and their arms are going to get tired and then they're going to start compensating. And you start having injuries in, in areas. So you got to be really conscious of that. Coaches, if you have one takeaway from this pod, you need to go back and take notes on that last seven minute answer on quarterback arm maintenance and how to construct your drills to make sure he is fresh when the playoffs hit, because I've made this mistake in the past and ruined my guys by not understanding um, how to properly maintain his strength through the season. I think every coach in America runs an RPO drill where you hand off the run and you toss him another ball and he's firing now screens out there. All the while, you're not realizing the amount of fatigue and strain you're putting on his arm. So, Will, thanks for that knowledge. That's absolute gold. Will, you're a quarterback expert through and through. If it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert, you've put in 20. I think that puts you on guru status. Will, where can we find more about you or reach out to you if we have questions. Yeah, I think uh, I'm on social media. So at Will Hewlett, um, at Twitter, on Twitter. And then I believe my Instagram's the same. Any, any, yeah, through, through those channels are probably the best. And then I just shoot me a DM. I usually check them from time to time. I'd be more than happy to help out any way I can. Uh, might cost you a bunch of money, but I, nah, I usually help guys out as much as I, I possibly can. Um, you know, draft prep time, it gets a little bit hairy. My life is, is pretty busy, so sometimes you won't hear back from me, but the summer's pretty chill. So, yeah, people got questions, and any way I can help out, love to uh, assist any way I can. Will, thanks for coming on the pod. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it.
I've always been interested in the use of technology to make our jobs more effective, so I'm excited to continue sharing modern football technology with you here on the podcast. This innovative system leverages tendencies to improve self-scouting, game planning, and in-game decision-making at the speed of the game. Modern football stands out because it's a battle-tested platform used by teams at all levels, like four-time national champion Bishop Gorman, the five-time California state champion Folsom Bulldogs, six-time Texas state champion Lake Travis, Cal football, and the CFL's Grey Cup champions, the Montreal Alouettes. So book a demo today to see why these teams trust modern football technology. Visit www dot team m-o-f-o dot com slash demo and mention coach and coordinator podcast or use the coupon code cc10 to receive 10 percent off your first year here's our winning edge takeaways from this one it is definitely full of it i think the whole thing really is just packed with great information will hewlett is on top of the game as far as quarterback training goes and i think he really gave us an honest look at this whole thing and was honest about what you can be in terms of being the best QB trainer you can be and how that might mean you're not necessarily the best offensive coordinator. Two distinctly different things, but what were your big takeaways from this one, Dub? Yeah, I think the first one for me was just being aware of the common quarterback coaching traps. And I think I've fallen into this one, and I think a lot of coaches will as well. It's, it's tinkering with finer mechanical issues during the season. I think you know it's really knowing what not to coach and what not to do that makes a really good coach. And I think – you know, if your quarterback's struggling with, with a finer point, you know, maybe just like not touching the arm during the season and, and folks on his base or some things like that is probably a good idea. I think another thing is, is spending too much time on drills that don't translate to the game environment um, was another thing that Will talked about. And I think that's another common trap that we all fall into, making sure that we examine our drills. And that leads into my second takeaway, which, you know, what makes a good quarterback drill? And, and you know, Will kind of shared, you know, there's really two components of that. Your, every quarterback drill that's really good requires some sort of layer of decision-making and also some element of pressure. So as coaches, I think every time we design a drill for our quarterbacks and at any time or that offseason or, or summertime, make sure it has a layer of decision-making and some sort of pressure and you got a good drill. My last takeaway was, and I thought this was so good, and this is really probably the best thing that he shared on the pod, was be aware of how much warm-up or how you warm up your quarterback and how much cool-down time he has in between periods and also what his throw count is each day. I mean, typically, you know, according to Will, you want to keep your quarterback around 150 throws per day, no more than 180. And he talked about on a high school schedule, you know, Monday, Tuesday, that's really a high-volume day. So you want to stay in that 150 to 180 range. Wednesday was a medium volume, so around 100 reps. And then Thursday was low volume. So I think, you know, track and how you warm up, how much cool down time he had so, you know, we don't have a period where he's off for 15 and we ramp back up into Skeller 7-on-7. Seven seven. He's launching post routes. And then, you know, making sure we're maintaining that quarterback throughout the season so when playoffs hit, he's ready to roll and he has the same zip and pop on the ball that he did week one. As I said, this was a great episode. I think it's one that every single quarterback, coach, and offensive coordinator needs to listen to. Just a ton here on things that are going to help your quarterback and really appreciate you getting Will back on the podcast and having him join you for this series. Yeah, it was great, Keith. Thanks for having me on. Be sure to go to coachingcoordinator.com for enhanced show notes with links to related episodes and resources. In addition, we have articles and our winning edge takeaways detailed in text. 
Also sign up for our free weekly tip sheet, which highlights the best ideas from the previous week, trending episodes, and featured resources. Follow me on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski.